So we can start the meeting now. The time is 5.55. Thank you. So I'll do roll call for you today, all right? So when I call your name, please say here or yes. Uh, Loretta Medellin. Yes. Richard Hervey Jr. Here. Lucia Angel is not going to be with us tonight. Neha Banger. B. Franks Walker. Here. Eric Murphy. Mark Smith. Here. Khalil Toki. And Ali Yassin. Here, thank you. Thank you. We have a quorum. Excellent. Well, um, hello everyone, and hope everyone's doing well. I had the opportunity, as you all know, to attend the um, Healthcare for the Homeless Conference in Bellevue, Washington, and Lucia was um, also able to attend. And it was very, very enlightening. and informative and I feel that um, that the whole nation the nation as a whole is we really are pretty much on the same page when it comes to um, health care and housing what I did discover that I thought was kind of interesting is um, when we have um, uh, uh, areas such as um, Santa Barbara I'll give, uh, give an example Santa Barbara has a total of 900 homeless people and they think that that's just enormous you know and so right away um, they uh, went out and secured uh, some money from people that lived in the area to try to get a um, respite uh, cottages made for when um, people got out of uh, the hospital and they needed to stay for maybe a, a month you know 30 days or whatever the recuperation time was and at the same time they partnered with the local shelter to hold 14 beds every single night uh, in case one of the homeless who was who is hospitalized would happen to need like a two or three day stay and I, I questioned I was asking myself how can they do that you know how can you hold 14 beds when you don't even know if there's anyone in there um, that is going to be coming being discharge I'm gonna to have to, to use the shelter bed but they do and and I realized that it is because of the total amount of homeless people that they have is significantly less than what we have and as far as the respite care that they built they built this beautiful beautiful center called cottage house and um, I think it will hold up to 14 people just beautiful you know um and again the, the money came in from people in the community that wanted to see this done so in that case i felt like well you know here we are in the east bay we have um over four thousand homeless <laughs> and i said i was thinking it, a lot of that i couldn't relate to because i felt that our conditions were so much worse and um possibly were not as affluent as Santa Barbara is. So that was one interesting thing that I discovered. Um, one thing 
one project in Denver actually took and put uh, trained homeless people to be ambassadors. Um, the project they it's Denver's social impact bond, and they have over twenty different properties that house um, four thousand residents. And um, when they built their their most recent um, addition, the government was or the city wasn't going to give them any money. So they went out and they got private investors. So they borrowed $8.6 million, and they were paid back, as goals were achieved, $11.4 million. So the investors made out, and you know the, the city, the homeless board, uh, was very happy with the donations, etc. So that was something that I thought was really, really good. I don't know. I don't know of us doing that here, but again, I think that was a wonderful way to do it. And um, what they did is they um, asked the homeless, um, this one man, he was uh, in prison for 40 years, got out and he was homeless and um, he uh, needed a place to stay. He was living on the street and someone from the center came and, and uh, met him and got him some health care that he needed and uh, offered to put him in, in a hotel room till get some uh, permanent housing so he accepted that and they ended up training him to be an ambassador and he was the first ambassador for this program and what his job was is he was responsible for um, getting all the people together in whatever building he lived in whatever you know a complex he lived in and he was like the um, head of the group you know he, he would um ask them how things are going, make sure that you know, they were getting the health care and going to appointments, and it worked out so well, and I thought, that is such a good idea, it's it's something that, you know, again, once again, we've been talking about people being involved in their own health care, and so that was wonderful. I, um, 86% of the people that participated in this program uh, retained uh remain stable in their housing after three years. That's a really, really good total. And um, that includes people that, you know, when they first went into the housing, a lot of people have a real hard time uh, with the quietness of having their own house or with um, just how do I take care of this apartment? You know, it's, it's so foreign to them. And their social group has been the people in the encampments where they lived. So they have a lot of adjusting to do when they go into um, new housing. And um, uh, this program in, in Denver made sure that they followed. They always had a, a, a person, a volunteer, or someone that followed these people and made sure that um, if they lacked anything, if they needed to get into some counseling sessions, um, it, was just, it was just a wonderful wonderful program. I was really impressed with it, and um, I thought that is something that we could really definitely um, apply to to our homeless situation here in the Bay Area. Um, another thing, too, that was, was interesting was, once again,
think about it, the problem isn't the homeless. The problem is affordable housing. Because if we had affordable housing, we wouldn't have the homeless, correct? So, you know, um, that was also something that uh, it really made me think about politics, you know. Um, I think we're fortunate to have San Francisco. I, I like the mayor in San Francisco. I like the mayor of Oakland. And they're very proactive in, in working with the homeless councils and so forth. So I think we're very, um, very fortunate that way. And um, my most favorite speaker, um, her name was Cassandra Federic. She's a, 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 a social worker. And she works for the Drug Policy Alliance. I don't know if anyone has heard her speak before. She's won several awards. She was dynamic. I mean, just wonderful. And some of the things that I took out from her um, is that we have 1.5 million drug arrests a year. Isn't that incredible? 1.5 million drug arrests. And we know that drugs target marginalized people and especially African-Americans. It doesn't matter really what what state you're in. It's the same thing. African-Americans have the highest percentage of um, homelessness. And they're also the ones that have been hit the hardest with the overdose and death problems, which is fentanyl that's on the street now. And um, she pointed out that what we have done as a society is we have criminalized poverty and substance abuse disorder and mental health and we, we've you know criminalized that and when people have these issues it's just easier to put them in jail you know it does no rehabilitation for them in any way shape or form but it gets them out of the immediate attention of wherever they are um she said that um, that you should we as people of uh, advocates for the homeless we should be very very careful to make sure we're informed on things that are going on in our city or on our in our state and in pertaining to what Congress may be trying to do or what city council might be trying to do because um, they need to hear our voices you know and and how can they do that you know how can we change things by, by voicing our opinion and you know COVID um, when COVID hit there was what um, I don't I don't have a number total but all of a sudden the, the county came up with all, all these hotels you know, and they, they housed all these people either for quarantine or as transitional housing. And so it made me think, we can do this. It was proven. It took a, a pandemic to show that we can do this. And so um, that was quite interesting, you know, when they talked about that. A lot of other cities are doing the same thing that our city did, and that is to purchase the... Um, hotels that are not being used anymore or um, that would be a good place for the homeless to uh, transition into their until they get their um, housing and the most important thing she said is please listen 
to people of lived experience because that's where you're going to find out where your weak areas are, what is not being met. Um, she, she suggested having homeless representatives on advisory boards, um, maybe even have them as speakers to a board like ours. You know, it, it, they wouldn't necessarily have to be a, a, on every single conference conference meeting we have, but they could come, uh, I don't know, once every six months, once every four months, and just present how things are going in from their perspective out in the streets. And I thought that was a really good idea and something that I hope that we look into and possibly, um, possibly take up. But, um, oh, I could go on and on. There is, there is just so much there. And I, um, I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed seeing Lucia. <laughs> that was really fun. I haven't seen her since she, she was pregnant the last time I saw her. She's got a two-year-old now, so <laughs> that shows you how long it's been. And I got to meet Cameron, who is the driver of the Global Health Center. And he's just a lovely person. So that was a really great experience for me. And I'll end it there, because like I said, I could go on and on and on, and that would take up the whole meeting. So thank you for listening. And we'll move on to B, which is a consent agenda. Uh, can I get a motion to approve the minutes of April 12th and also to adopt that resolution authorizing the remote teleconferencing? meetings pursuant to AB 361. I move to approve the minutes from the April, to April 12th uh, co-applicant board meeting and the adopted resolution of the, uh, authorizing remote tra- teleconference meeting um, pursuant to AB 361. Thank you. Second the motion. Thank you, B. Can we do and I'll call? do the roll call, and so when I call your name, you're going to say yay or yes or no. Yes or no. Um, Loretta Medellin? Yay. Richard Hervey Jr.? Yay. B. Franks Walker? Yes. Mark Smith? Yay. And Ali Yassin? Yay. Thank you. The motion passes. Item C, um, the CAB okay. recruitment update. Yeah. Um, well, we've been talking about this now for uh, quite a few weeks about inviting people that we think would be um, would be valuable to our our board. Um, they've reached out to physicians to uh, talk with their patients to um, suggest you know having them apply to be a board member. And so, Heather, I know you have some um, some news about people that are interested, correct? Um, yes. Yeah, so we do. We have done several action, uh, several things here at Alameda Health System, and what we included here in our update was kind of our action plan. Um, and so, the action plan just identified 
uh, where we are now with our our board and where we want to go with our board so we are nine members right now with two um, resigning very soon and we're looking to have 11 members um, we have a lot of healthcare expertise and we're hoping to have both healthcare and finance expertise um, we want a majority patient caregiver um, membership which we have community participation to be diverse and inclusive and i think i can add on here um, uh, the lived experience as well so i'll update this to reflect that um, we've had several discussions. These are kind of the activities. We revised our, revised our application and posted it to the internet. We've got an article that's um, almost ready for publication. We do have the draft form. It was, it was reviewed by Loretta, so you will see it soon. And we need to socialize our recruitment efforts, which we're doing um, at various levels within our organization. Um, we've done that uh, by having uh, Loretta came to our department head meeting recently and was also at a CEO chat recently. We also featured it as a topic for discussion at our AOC AQC meeting, which is an ambulatory operations and quality committee meeting with all of the um, physician leaders and managers uh, in ambulatory care. Once we get that article printed, we're going to have um, an opportunity to spread it into social media. And this is where we really do need your help. So some things you can do in preparation for that is linking to Alameda Health System on your social media accounts because it will get posted there and then you will be able to share it, comment on it and, and spread um, the word that way. So um, you can follow Alameda Health System on Twitter, on um, Facebook, on Instagram, all of those places. If you have any of those social media accounts, you'll be able to find them there. Um, we also want to do some targeted um, recruitment for financial expertise. We have not identified specifically how to do that, but we have been talking with, um, you know, Alameda Health System Foundation has also an associate board. So we're talking to them about um, helping us to do some recruitment specifically for our board. So those are some of the things that we're doing. Over here, we have some target dates. Um, we're, we're hoping that PACE article get published mid-May. I know we're on May 17th. It'll be any minute now. Um, and that's the one that will also then get launched via social media. So if you have any additional suggestions and things, I can also add them to this work plan. Um, this, is, um, this is Mark. Um, I, I do have a question. Go ahead, Mark. Yes, um, um, about being able to uh, look or view uh, these postings on social media, what about people um, in our group, uh, I, unfortunately I count myself as one of them, uh, who uh, may or may not uh, want to uh, provide uh, information in order to register for any social, platform, social media platform? Right, so you, um, we've also included the application in your board packets last month. And um, so at any time, you, we can provide you with printed copies of the application. And we absolutely encourage you to use, um, I will say, more traditional forms of social uh, capital, like having conversations, meeting with your friends, and, and talking in person in real life. So absolutely, we encourage those methods for you as well to get the word out about the opportunity to be on the cab. And if you have any people that you, um, 
identify and if you need our help as staff to kind of link them to the application or provide that to them you can also just refer them back to Brenda and I so that's another method it's just get that name and phone number back to us and we could then reach out to them and provide them any information that they need to get them uh, get their application filled out and um, Heather just one other question uh, just to confirm what I thought what I thought that you spoke of earlier uh, did you say that um, two, two members are, are, are resigning from the board? Yeah, so we have two members who have, who have indicated that they cannot continue. Um, uh, that's Eric Murphy because it's been conflicting with his work schedule as well as Khalil Toki so, um, because he has moved to Oregon. So they won't be able to continue on our cab. So we will need to both replace those two members as well as we'd like to have two additional members. So four members would be ideal. Just as a reminder, our board can be larger than that as well, but we have identified as 11 as being a really good number of board members to have. So if we have additional applicants, um, again, you will be reviewing all the applicants once the applications come in and determining whether or not to add these applicants onto the board. Um, and then we just are making sure that any additions are maintaining our compliance. And our compliance rules I, just as a reminder, mean that at least 51% of the people as members need to be patients of Alameda Health System. It can certainly be larger than that. And then um, there are some restrictions about how many people can be on the board who are um, making their living in the healthcare industry. Spread the word, people. Yes, please. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, thank you, Heather. Okay, we have an action item here. Um, and this is about summer solstice event. And Mark, I believe you're going to present that for us. Um, yes, um, and Heather, um, I'll need help with this because uh, I, just some information uh, that was sent to me, um, unfortunately, I think part of it is missing. Uh, in regards to the actual date of the event. Um, I don't have the exact date of the event, um, but the summer solstice event it is um, basically uh, uh, being run by um, Healthcare for the Homeless um, program. And uh, basically um, I was asked by members uh, of the CAB uh, to ask, uh, to formally ask uh, our board to basically sign on as a co-sponsor of the uh, summer solstice event, which will basically be uh, just a celebration of, partly a celebration of some of the strides we've made um, at Healthcare for the Homeless program, uh, what that means going forward, uh, what our future plans might be, or what we would like them to look like. Um, also celebrating uh, individuals who had uh, more than a significant hand in helping us uh, progress as far as we have, um, and that 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 not only that doesn't only include uh, administrative people, but um, actually uh, homeless people who have been active uh, in some part of our uh, in some part um, part or partial um, participation in uh, helping us reach our goals, and basically um, part of this event is to recognize those people who've had a significant impact 
uh, on the progress of our program overall. Uh, and there'll also be a uh, one. Um, there'll be a minute of silence for uh, homeless people that have passed away in the last year, which I believe the number that was reported by David is uh, 351. Um, and it's, um, the, uh, I do know that it is only going to be an hour. Because it's going to be at Frank Ogawa Plaza in uh, downtown Oakland. Uh, we only have an hour um, because there's another event that uh, occurs uh, outdoors uh, next to the same, um, next to the plaza uh, an, uh, an hour after um, uh, we start. Um, there'll be another, there's going to be another event that's not associated with us uh, next to our space. And so um, uh, as a result, uh, we only have one hour. Uh, I believe we'll also be passing out food um, to uh, audience members and um, and other people who are uh, who are slated to be there um, as, as an audience. And um, yeah, and basically that's it. And they wanted us to, they wanted us, they wanted me to ask you guys if we would just be, um, recognize as co-sponsors of the event. So there's um, a flyer here that's included in your packet that just, that uh, kind of is what it looked like last time. So the event um, will also be on Thursday, or well, it won't be Thursday. It's going to be June 21st of 2022, which I believe is a Tuesday this year. Um, I will double check the timing. Um, this timing shows that it's from one to, do, to two, and I know that it is a luncheon. Um, and as a co-sponsor of the event, your names would, the cab would be listed at the bottom as a co-sponsor right here on the flyer. And what they're asking also as co-sponsors is if anybody's available to come to the event and celebrate with them on the day, uh, that would be fantastic. And I know that um, they will be uh, celebrating people and their resiliency. So if you have any suggestions, nominations, or people that you would want to put forward as um, potential recipients of awards, then I think they would welcome that as well. That's how David described it to me. Mark, is that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. Okay, thanks. Yes, so um, we have an action item to um, bring forth to approve the cab sponsoring this event. So, can I get a motion for someone to? I move to approve the CAB's co sponsorship for the summer solicitation event. I'll second. Thank you so much. So, I'll do roll call and you can say yes or no when I call your name. Uh, Loretta Medellin? Yes. Richard Hervey Jr.? Yes. B. Franks Walker? Yes. Mark Smith? Yes. Ali Yassim? Yeah. Thank you so much. The motion passes. Great. That will be exciting. Okay, so now we're down to item E, which is the um, medical director report. Dr. Francis, it's all yours. Thanks so much. Um, I just wanted to touch on three things really briefly during this report. Um, the first is that um, we're, of course, in another uh, coronavirus surge right now, and so infection rates are going up 
um, in some places in the country, not here, but in some places in the country, um, hospitals are, are nearing capacity. Um, and so um, there's a possibility that the surge could, um, you know, could create conditions like that here. We're not, you know, we're not sure we're a few weeks behind the things that are happening on the East Coast. Um, we have already seen increases in the need for isolation and quarantine um, among people experiencing homelessness and, and more requests even from, uh, from patients of Allegheny Health System to go into isolation and quarantine um, at, the, at, at those sites. Um, so I just wanted to make you all aware of that and, and you know, let you know we're by no means sort of, is the pandemic over or, or you know, um, has, uh, has anything sort of come to an end? And, and we're also dealing with this issue, I think, in terms of staffing and, um, you know, challenges with having a lot of staff out across um, the homeless health center and, and ambulatory services as well. Um, the second thing I wanted to let you know was that just this morning, the, um, the high level results of the homeless count were released. Um, showing that in Alameda County, um, as of February of this year, we had 9,747 people who were homeless. Um, that represented increases of about 1,500 people over the last count, which was in 2019. Um, so the rate of increase slowed a little bit, um, but there, there was an increase of, you know, over uh, 1,000 people, um, both sheltered um, uh, the, the numbers of people living in shelters increased and the numbers of people living on the streets increased. And one of the areas where there was the largest increase was in people who were living in cars and RVs. Um, so, um, Heather, I don't know if you want to add anything. I know you attended, uh, 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 the, I wasn't able to, but you attended the, um, the actual press conference about it or, um, whatever it was called. I don't know if it was a press conference, but, <laughs> uh, I watched the video recording of the conference after it occurred. And so I am going to find that link right now and I will include it in the chat and I can also follow up with everybody so that you can also um, watch that presentation uh, that was presented by our point in time count folks. So there will be more detailed data um, that, that that's produced and detailed reports and those are going to take another couple months to come out. I think those are anticipated for July. And when those are out, we'll, we'll do a longer agenda item here. We'll plan to do a longer agenda item here. Um, just going through the report in more detail, looking at the demographics and health issues and, and things like that. Um, Damon, did you also see the part that um, there were two, area, two um, areas, San Francisco and Sonoma, they actually lowered their um, homeless totals. Not a whole lot, but, you know, it's still like San Francisco, I think, was 3%. So that's good, you know. Um, and once again, it's because of housing that's being built and um, turning hotels into transitional housing. And, um, you know, that if you look at San Francisco and they're doing it, we can do it too. That's just my opinion. Yeah, that's that's really uh, great news. I hadn't seen the report yet from other communities, and I think there'll be a lot of analysis to come around the differences between communities. And um, yeah, and I'm sure that your point earlier that you know really the state of affordable housing, um, you know, and the rental market in particular, I think really is the main storyline of homelessness. Um, 
and so we'll we'll get to kind of investigate that I think as we see more of these results come out but thanks for sharing that the third thing I just wanted to um, highlight was that Alameda Health System is on the cusp of approving a strategic plan. I think it was nearly approved at our Board of Trustees meeting last week. There are some final revisions, I think, and it's uh, the plan to be approved at a special Board of Trustees meeting is my, my understanding. But it, essentially, I think the strategic plan is basically complete and they're making some tweaks around the edges. And for our purposes, I think one of the most exciting things in the plan is that there is a strong endorsement of increasing drop-in capacity over the next five years at Alameda Health System, which is, I think, a central component of you know our strategic plan as a as the co-applicant board. So I think that has a lot to do with um, you know the the work that this board has done and the advocacy um, and you know being at the board of trustees meetings. And um, uh, I'm really excited to see how we can you know leverage the, the approval of the overall AHS strategic plan. To, um, to start driving some more action on, on um, you know, making more drop-in services available. I think the other area that's really exciting for me in the strategic plan is um, to see um, patient leadership and, um, you know, patient advocacy really called out um, as something that needs to be supported. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of detail to flesh out on how we do that well. I think there's a lot more to learn from, you know, what we've done as a co-applicant board, but it's exciting to see that as something else that our, you know, organization and institution wants to um, expand and deepen and make more powerful in um, in the years ahead. So um, we can also make sure that we send out links to the to um, the strategic plan once it's finalized um, to you all, so you can you can have access to it. Um, and I'm happy to take any questions. That's that's the end of anything I wanted to report. Um, Damon, I have one. Uh, you may not know. Um, may not know this at the moment but um do you have do you have any idea or clue as to uh when they actually might finalize the strategic plan uh imminently i think it, within this week um it was it went to the board of trustees last week is my understanding um this is i did i haven't actually reviewed the documents or the or and wasn't present at the meeting but I think it went to the Board of Trustees and was basically approved in principle, but you know, they wanted to make a couple tweaks to it and finalize the approval this week is what I understand. So by the end of this week, I anticipate we'll have a final um, strategic plan that we can send out to everyone. Um, would it be possible, um, my, my, my other question would be, would it be possible um, if asked uh, to receive the strategic plan once it's finalized? Uh, actually, um, as a as a hard copy, um, uh, as a hard copy, uh, if requested, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. The other thing we've we we are planning on including in the future agenda um, is to have um, members of our executive team come and present the um, or some delegate come and present the plan here, um, so that you all can actually have a chance to ask more questions about the plan once you're familiar with it. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, Damon, are you familiar with uh, Ward 86? Yes, yeah, definitely. Oh, well, um, they did a fabulous presentation at the conference, and the topic was pop-up clinic. So I really am excited to share some things with you about that. Yes, yeah, yes. They've, been, they've been doing great work. Uh, Julie Dombrowski, who uh, did some of the studies in Washington, uh, from the Max Clinic uh, is also a graduate of UCSF residency, 
I, I of course did my residency at UCSF. I know Dr. Gang and Kat and some of the folks yeah. over there. So it's it's uh, it's really cool to see um, just folks I trained with, you know, really pushing this forward and, and demonstrating how obviously successful you know this model is. Um, and I think. I can't wait for people outside the world of HIV to start doing similar studies yes. with diabetes and other areas because I think it's not, there's nothing specific about HIV that makes it work. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, for those of you that don't know, Ward 86 is um, a clinic that um, deals with HIV patients. And um, they now have a pop up clinic, which is, they explained how they did it. Um, what works for them, what doesn't work for them, and it just, it was such a great presentation, and something that I think we can learn from to help implement our idea for a pop-up clinic. Um, one question, um, regarding uh, what you were just talking about, Loretta, um, uh-huh. is it possible that uh, we will be able to hear at some point um, uh, what you guys experienced at the conference? Um, well, sure. I did. I did in the beginning um, speak about some of the things that really stood out to me. Um, I know Lucia. She wants to share a few things also, um, but I don't. I don't know Heather or Damon. I don't know if there's anything else that you would like us to to share. I, I think if, it would be great to hear something from Lucia, like you know, like what we heard from you, you know, a few minutes when she's able to attend. Like, what were the, what were the two or three, um, you know, presentations she saw that most impacted her, or people she met, or, or whatever. I think you know something like a few minutes like that from Lucia, if she's willing, would be. Oh great. yeah, yeah, yeah. She is, and her uh, her particular position now is uh, dealing with health equity, and so she attended a lot of meetings concerning equity. So that was really interesting. Great. Okay. Damon, did, did we cover F or? No, that was E. So we can move oh, to okay. F now, which is um, okay. our first uh, version of the strategic plan report out. So you can okay. go. Sorry. Down to that, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, so, um, you know, when we approved the, um, the strategic plan as a co-applicant board, um, we talked about coming back on a quarterly basis and really giving you a status update on where we are against elements of the plan. Um, so this is the first of those uh, status updates. And um, what you have in your packet and we'll walk through is, um, I think each of the goals with each of the milestones that were listed in the plan and then the due dates for those milestones listed in the plan and then the status the status report on where we are. And then what I've done is um, just for a couple areas where there's more activity um, over the last quarter, um, I've highlighted a couple things and, and, and um, at the end of the update put some things in more detail. In the future, um, when I'm not covering another um, role in the organization and supervising <laughs> six other physicians, I do also plan to include um, some measures of success so that we can look at, for example, look at our drop-in capacity over time, see how that's changing, um, and, and be able to look at some continuous data over time in addition to looking at the, um, at the milestones. I just was um, unable to, to complete that for 
for this first uh, for this first status update. But um, I do think there's some really exciting stuff in here. So um, for our first goal, which is um, about you know drop-in services, maximizing the care that people receive for acute and chronic illnesses at the earliest opportunity and in the locations and settings that work best for them. You know, really our early pushes have been at the Bridge Clinic, um, which you all have heard a lot about and heard from the staff there, um, which provides medically assisted treatment. And um, the great news is that in the last quarter, we've actually had a pro forma budget approved that um, that um, supports a really large expansion of the Bridge Clinic. Um, I detailed some of the staff below, but we don't currently have a practice manager for the clinic, even though we're seeing upwards of a thousand visits per month there and so we will be able to hire a practice manager we'll be able to hire a pharmacist we'll be able to some of the substance use navigator positions to community health outreach worker positions which are more stable jobs um, you know with better benefits that that really support professionalization of that group of staff um, we'll be able to add additional fte of provider um, and we'll be able to add, you know, also some um, patient services representatives and, and medical assistant staff to, to complement the provider that we're adding. So um, it's really, really exciting um, to see that that was approved and um, that was a big part of what we hoped to do, um, you know, by, by about this time, by, by July of 2022. Um, so um, the other elements related to the Bridge Clinic are adding um, the Bridge Clinic to our HRSA scope formally. Of course, we've already approved that as a co-applicant board here, but the commission needs to approve that in order for HRSA to, um, to then receive the application to expand the scope because um, the county is the, the entity that deals directly with HRSA. And what we need to figure out ahead of that time is to work with our finance team around our rate setting plan because that application moment is what will trigger all of the processes for figuring out how much we're going to get paid for the service um, and we really need it that's a really tightly coordinated process that needs to be really strategically done um, to make sure that we maximize the amount of revenue that we get paid for the service to support you know as many needs as possible um, and so we want to make sure that we're working really closely with our finance team and they've had a lot of priorities related to our strategic planning process and other things recently and so We've had some meetings um, delayed with the CFO and, and her team, um, but I think we'll, you know, in the next few months, be able to, to start figuring out, you know, what the timing looks like and be able to move forward by our January 2023 timeline on this item. So I think we're we're basically on pace for that one. Um, and then in terms of the mobile health uh, dental expansion, Heather, I might turn it over to you since you're closer to this one. I can read the bullets, but I think you can probably add more color than I can add on that one. Yeah, so the bullets are really explanatory, though. They're, they're great. We did get the <laughs> approval of significant capital expense, which was really a milestone. It, it took some effort to do that. I know it says receipt of some mobile dental equipment there. We are, That is pending. It's all been ordered, um, but some of the stuff was on back order, so we are still waiting for it to come in. Uh, we've done some uh, our interviews of some registered dental assistants, um, so we're actually going to have one of our candidates come visit the mobile unit on Friday to check it out to see if that's an environment. That's, you know, we always want it to be. Um, um, uh, everybody's happy, both the employee and the patients, and mobile is a very unique office environment. And so we wanna make sure people know uh, what they have really applied for. So we're having some people visit us there. Um, 
And I think that the team, certainly, we've also expanded a few of our sites. Uh, they started going to the, the Youth Spirit Award, um, Youth Village uh, near home base, which they've been really enjoying lately. So uh, it is moving along. So exciting. Uh, we're also going to be having a presentation by the dental team um, at the next meeting. So they're going to give you their full uh, scope and how it's changed and their their improvement plans. And uh, I think you'll get to see the the project plan, the, the sprinter van mock-up that they're very excited about as well. So you'll hear more from them next month. We're exciting. And then um, in the, the final milestone was additional budget proposals to expand drop-in services. Um, we put due date to be determined. Um, and though none, no work in that area has really been started yet, um, I think we're really focused on, on the bridge and dental services and, um, and then of course our other kind of coverage responsibilities at this time. So we'll keep you posted as to that stuff getting started. I think it's something to keep an eye on to make sure we do, you know, once we get these things kind of solidly off the ground, actually start to look look other places, you know, again, in line with not just our strategic plan, but with Alameda Health System's strategic plan as well. Um, goal number, well, before I move to goal number two, any other questions on goal number one? Are we gonna have a written um, plan um, or ideas to um, uh, open up the pop-in clinic? I mean, are, are, as a board, are we going to brainstorm them or? This is the plan where, I mean, we are able to amend it. Um, so this is our strategic plan and this is the level at which we'll review these items with, you know, more detailed um, reviews, like highlights, you know, people coming, like the, like the dental team will come to the board, you would be able to interact with them. So as the bridge clinic rolls out, you know, you'll be able to interact with them. That's definitely... It's not, it's not exactly the pop-up clinic model, but it's building on the same things as the pop-up clinic model, you know, incentives to come in for care, um, right. having substance use navigator type, you know, service uh, available, like a, a peer or community health worker type service and having a drop-in capability. So those are our sort of translations of that and the bridge clinic is already doing that. So this right. is effectively the, the presentation, but you know, as Kayla said before the meeting, um, whatever you want to direct us to bring here, there's certainly um, there's certainly room for you all to steer the agenda for us to revise the plan, you know, to include more specificity in places where you want um, to see that. Okay. We didn't really talk, well, we just said a drop-in clinic. We didn't necessarily say where, correct? Correct. We said expand drop-in services. And so those are some of the, those are some of the, um, measures that we want to look at you know ideally we're expanding in many different places in the system in my mind um you know and i think our first projects to do this are really to expand the bridge clinic and, and dental um you know services because those were areas where we had close partners we had work that was already underway um and we wanted to kind of capitalize on that i think over time we we, we need to work on more than just the low-hanging fruit and you know find places where we can expand um you know, expand drop-in cap capabilities um, beyond these settings. Yes, definitely. Thank you. All right, so on goal number two, um, it's ensure sustainable funding and infrastructure to support existing and expanded services. 
So the first uh, milestone parallels the, the milestone in their first area around the bridge clinic. Um, you heard earlier about our recruitment strategy for a cab member. So please, you know, tap your networks, digital or otherwise, um, to, uh, to help us find someone great who can help us bring some of that um, financial lens to our work. Um, on the third milestone, uh, dedicated financial analyst time for homeless health center. So, um, you know, I think this could take a number of different forms. There's been a new hire actually around um, program planning and finance within population health. Um, there's been work done in the chief financial officer's office um, to, to restructure kind of how um, the financial planning works in the organization. Um, so, you know, I really want to talk to those folks to understand where and how it makes sense to have this kind of capacity without just saying, you know, we need to hire for ourselves or whatever. I think I don't think that's necessarily the, the right way to do it. Um, but I've had the our meetings with our chief financial officer um, delayed um, and, and set back a little bit. So this one, um, I think it's possible that we'll still um, we'll still have something by July 2022. But um, it's also possible that this one might be might be delayed. Um, and then. Uh, on the last two items, which really look at comparing our um, FQHC revenue at all of our sites to the costs at all of those sites and figuring out if we're satisfied with the balance of the, of the rates and what we can do. Um, I think that some of that work has been done by our finance team, but um, I think we um, need to, need, I definitely need to become uh, more conversant in what's been done, figure out if there's more that has to be done before we can bring that back to you all and kind of show you some analysis of that. Um, you know, are we getting paid what we deserve to be paid under federal statute for the ser- for the health center services that we provide? That's the question that I want to be able to answer for, for you all. And I think that's going to take a little bit uh, more time. And then on the last area, that's sort of complementary outside of how we get paid, you know, as a federally qualified health center per visit. Are we also getting the correct share of supplemental funding um, to support the services that we provide within the health center? Um, so I think those are two parallel items and likely to kind of move at a similar um, pace uh, in the future. Any questions on goal two before we move to goal three? So this goal, um, number three, I think we knew when we approved the plan that this was um, not going to be something we were going to be able to um, to have, you know, specific milestones for early on that we could predict in the same way we have sort of bridge clinic and, and you know, mo- and uh, mobile de- the mobile dental program. Um, but we did want to um, really make sure, I think, Loretta, you've been a champion of this in every venue that you've spoken in that this idea of building these strong and lasting relationships with the care team and following up, you know, staying connected to people. And that includes doing that across partners that aren't necessarily Alameda Health System, um, that this is a really important thing that maybe, you know, for my work and Heather's work specifically is not, you know, something that is, um, is you know, going to the Budget Oversight Committee today, but it's something that we really need to keep on our radar and be aiming for in the future. And I think this is actually an area where there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. So we had a successful application that Alameda Health System submitted in partnership with 
the county and with the community health center network and with um, some local community colleges to really um, expand our infrastructure to support community health workers across Alameda County and across a bunch of partners, which I think is really a key part of this creation of strong and lasting relationships. Um, the feedback we heard from CHCF was a statewide application, really competitive, was that Alameda County's application was incredibly strong and really stood out. Um, and so I think this is a place where, you know, we're, we're happy, we have an active role as the Homeless Health Center, but we're really working in, in partnership with this large group of people. It's just really so great to be a part of. Um, and then we have an additional um, application pending to the California Healthcare Foundation for a partnership between the Bridge Clinic and Alameda Healthcare for the Homeless to make the Bridge Clinic services more available to people living on the streets. Oh, yeah. um, so that's a really exciting project that you know just again getting the application done i think represents a really strong move toward you know these kinds of partnerships and again creating these relationships out on the streets you know how do we pull someone who's on the streets in and we know them you know whether they're being seen by hepac or whether they're being seen by the system you know we're following we're knowing we're connecting we're staying related to people um and then um finally that you know i think lucia was asking just can you tell us what you're already regularly regularly doing here and i think the cal aim conversation which is the advancing innovation and medicaid program at the state level which represents a huge investment in um, trying to advance the health of marginalized populations including people experiencing homelessness um, that's really triggered a lot of partnership and collaboration inside the organization between us and ambulatory um, our complex care teams, other parts of the organization, and so we're meeting regularly with those folks, and um, and then that partnership has really extended to Wanda, our clinician in mobile health, providing clinical consultative services to the complex care team, so we're starting to build not just kind of the partnerships at the leadership level, but more of the operational partnerships also in that area, and I think, again, this is kind of the the, the building, you know, just the, the basic relationships, the basic connections that hopefully, you know, um, over the you know near future, far future kind of pay off in terms of um, better and more expanded programming to, you know, connect housing to primary care over the long term for folks who are you know, right now we see a lot in the hospital, the 4,000 people we see in the hospital right. yard, but don't really see in these settings. Um, yeah. So that's, there's a lot of like, Kind of small but really exciting work i think in this in this area um and there's more in the you know in the highlights below on the chcf application in particular um so i think i'll i'll stop there for for this um, agenda item and happy to take any uh, questions i i did have uh one in particular damon um regarding the bridge clinic and the fact that uh, um there's, there's been approval uh, from the budget oversight committee regarding expansion um I was looking here at um, the um, the new positions that come with that approved expansion. Um, in terms of hiring, um, how how is the hiring how how is the hiring structured? I mean, is it through Alameda County? And if it is through the county, um, is the county solely the ones responsible for basically uh, posting these positions and doing uh, direct hiring? No, it's, these are Alameda Health System positions, so, you know, we're a separate organization from Alameda County. Um, we're, you know, we're tied together in some important ways, but we're governed by the Board of Trustees. 
you know, you all have some shared governance over Alameda Health System. The county is governed by the Board of Supervisors, has shared governance for our scope of service with the commission, the Healthcare for the Homeless Commission. So to be clear, all of these positions are Alameda Health System positions. Um, the, we want to hire the practice manager um, you know, really early on because we think that's a really key position, you know, analogous to Heather's role to help kind of steer the ship you know, moving forward. We have Dr. Herring in the medical director role and, and Monish, both of whom you've met. Um, and so we need, you know, we need someone analogous on the practice management side to, to really drive this forward. So Karen Wise, who's our um, behavioral health director in the ambulatory care who you've met, she's done some presentations on expanding um, the, the um, licensed clinical social workers. Um, that have, that's also been approved by the Budget Oversight Committee, also in part with, with your support and leadership. Um, she's the one who's actually hiring the practice manager position. So that, that position will report to her and it's within Alameda Health System as are all the rest of these positions. And, um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, Mark. Oh, um, just two other questions regarding the positions. Could you um, shed some light on uh, what exactly the duties are of the advanced practice manager uh, versus say the, 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 the doctor or the practice manager? And also, uh, would you do the same regarding um, on what you mean by a patient services representative? Uh, patient service representative would have uh, what qualities would you want that person to have? Sure. So, advanced practice provider is our shorthand for. Um, in this case, it would be a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. Uh, so they're typically allowed to. Um, furnish or prescribe medicines basically, um, you know, and, and do a very parallel scope of work to what the medical doctor can do. They can evaluate patients, you know, figure out what's, what's uh, you know, what might be going on, order tests and, and prescribe medications. Um, the patient services representatives work um, on, in the, at the, um, you know, the, the front desk and registering people who come in for care. Um, and so, um, you know, anytime we have an expansion of provider staff, we also need to expand the staff that um, that are you know responsible for all the front office functions of the clinic, and, and that include you know registering patients and um, helping with you know all the things that it takes to welcome a patient to clinic and make sure they have a good experience and get scheduled for a follow up appointment and those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. Um, Damon, are you familiar with um, the Keck School of Medicine? At USC, sure. Yeah, they did a, a wonderful presentation too, and it just kind of reminded me. Um, well, the, the one that did the presentation, she's a nurse practitioner, and um, she's also she teaches also. Um, the five community health outreach workers are they going to be similar to what they do in LA? I don't know what they do in LA, but oh, I can describe okay, what I think okay. these folks are doing right now. So. Currently, we have um, uh, positions that are globally called substance use navigators. I think some of them have slightly different functions from each other, and um, primarily they're um, they're employed through research grant funds that um, that you know we we've been able to um, get, um, and uh, and so that they they essentially help people stay connected to the service, you know. The, what the first point of contact when someone needs to come in to, to, to get medically assisted treatment is often the, the substance use navigator, which will become a community health outreach worker role. 
So they talk to someone, figure out what their needs are, make sure they understand how to get to the clinic and can navigate them to the service. But then they also you know, do a lot of linkage to other um, community services that may be valuable for folks. They do a lot of health education. They do a lot of coaching, um, you know, in addition to, to those uh, navigation type roles. Um, I think I think this role will evolve, and I think we'll we'll be able to um, to have to expand the scope beyond what the substance use navigators are doing now. Um, when yeah. we have both, you know, community health outreach workers in in the roles, and when we have the type of um, support that you know we have listed in some of the other positions, in a practice manager, um, in a pharmacist, actually, there's an existing yeah. licensed clinical social worker down there. So I think being able to pair that role with with the right kinds of support mechanisms is going to be really critical to um to building out and just maximizing you know what what we can um what we can do for the patients in that clinic right yeah it's exciting too it's very exciting yeah it's very exciting yeah i think i think this is every bit as exciting as what you know the pop-up clinic does at, at ucsf i think you know andrew publishes in the in the medical literature, but he also publishes in the LA Times and NPR uh-huh. and all that stuff too. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, I think this is this is a really nationally notable thing that's happening right. you know, here at Alameda Health System, and I'm very thrilled to be able to be, you know, one of the people who's just supporting, you know, getting this service off the ground, expanding it, you know, making it even better, and, and giving it the the sustainability that I think um, it deserves and that our community deserves. Well, we can always do an op-ed. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Andrew's yeah. out there already. He, he just, there was just an article in the LA Times, actually, that we can forward you, uh, you know, with, with Dr. Herring, featuring Dr. Herring in the bridge coming uh-huh. again. So, um, oh, awesome. No, I, awesome. I, don't, I don't think we're, we're lacking anything, actually, in the way of philanthropic support or research support. I think, um, you know, what this is doing is kind of finally i think equalizing the institutional support that um that the bridge clinic deserves you know and 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 the recognition that it's getting at home even as it's already gotten all this recognition from the research community and from the philanthropic community right yeah definitely yes 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 okay um kayla has taken care of two for us already and that means item h is uh, the program report. Okay, Heather, that's all yours. Thank you so much. All right, welcome back to new version of the program report number two. (laughs) So we we launched this last month and so I'm excited to bring it back to you today. I know that um, on number one, we have health compliance and program requirements and it says no updates. I would like to amend that because we did have an update that came through our, um, our offices today regarding the uh, oral surgery addition to our scope of work that was approved. So that was finalized. And uh, so we had submitted to add oral surgery to our scope of work and that is now complete. So I'll add that on to next month's um, program report, but that, that news came in this morning. So that was great news. Um, so they, they can resume their their billing of FQHC at um, E2 Dental Clinic for oral surgery clinic services. Um, here we have our, our scheduled reports, which we've we've done before. Um, so this is our patient satisfaction report, and this is what it looks like. They have uh, each color represents a different uh, one of our clinics. The 
dark gray line is our system. So that's that's uh, ambulatory care. Then we've got Eastmont Wellness Center is the teal line and Hayward, Highland and Newark. So Highland being the yellow and Newark being the purple. And we're gonna see that again in another way in the next graph. These are our, our overall scores, kind of what it's ranking at. And remember the dotted line at the top, the 84.2 is our goal, our target. And you can see where each of the um, centers is falling just below that goal, some more than others below that goal, Eastmont being the closest to that goal line. Um, we also have below that, we've got recommend the practice overall, and this is based on race and ethnicity. Um, and so I know that this is very difficult to see and small, but um, let me see if I can expand it for you so you can see it a little bit better. Um, so we've broken it down by Asian, Black or African American, Native American, Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, and other Hispanic and white. And what we're looking at here, and this is for each again of the wellness centers, we're looking at is there a significant difference between these different groups in their experience with our practice overall? And again, that dotted line is our goal line, and you'll see that in general, our um, experience scores are below goal at this point. They do go above goal sometimes for some specific groups, for example, here at Newark, for our Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander group. All right, the next part of our report is about utilization. Um, and again, this is uh, for 12 months, so we're looking at 12 months worth of data in one, uh, one graphic. We've seen 3,402 unduplicated patients in the Homeless Health Center, and here they're divided by the type of care that they're receiving and where they're receiving it. So this is Highland Primary Care at the top, followed by Highland Specialty, and you'll notice Highland Specialty is significantly larger than our primary care at Highland. And this is remember because people are coming to specialty both from other wellness centers within Alameda Health System as well as other um, primary care providers outside of Alameda Health System. Um, here's our Highland Urgent Care. This here, this blue is our mobile health clinic followed by our substance use disorder clinic. This is our dental and oral surgery clinic is the purple. And then we have our freestanding sites, Eastmont, Hayward and Newark, which I, I grouped together um, so that you can kind of see where they fall as well. We've added another visual for you this time, which is um, what we call our rolling 12 to see what's happening over time and where we're seeing patients. Um, and so using the same groupings that we had above, we're looking at what's happening over time. So this is the total in the year of what was seen for these patients, and this is number of patients. And again, these patients in the graph are duplicated, but it's 3,402 unduplicated patients, but they will go to more than one place. So each time they end up at a new place, they end up duplicated. And then here they are over time. So you can see what's happening here, where, you know, at um, Highland Specialty, there was a peak in March and a little dip in April, and you can see also 
from May of 2021 where it was lower. It was going up and then it dipped a little. It had another dip here, then went back up. Um, it did not map this according to also what's happening with COVID, but that may be another indicator. Here in the Highland Urgent Care, you'll notice this dip. And this is primarily um, because of COVID vaccinations and the COVID vaccination visits were really driving a lot of these numbers. And so this is back kind of to the normal, what they see without um, that, that bump in COVID vaccination visits. So that's why you'll see that dipping there. Um, we did this other graph, which is really uh, combined all of the different sites together to see how we're serving patients in primary care compared to specialty care, compared to urgent care, substance use, um, dental, mobile, etc. Um, and I know that you guys have called out several times our behavioral health numbers being extremely low. Um, there was a recent approval for expansion for integrated behavioral health, which you will be hearing more about soon, um, and an upcoming meeting as they're expanding that as well and got approval um, to hire additional providers for mental health. I hope so. Yeah. And again, this is this is visits. This is how many visits. So those patients yeah. that we saw above are coming for more than one visit. So you'll see a significantly higher number of visits than patients. And we did the same uh, thing here. Yes, Mark? Yeah, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just wondering, um, um, what does it mean, uh, the category, the smart uh, financial screening? Um, I included financial screening for our homeless health center patients to make sure that um, that they are getting their financial screening when they're coming. So financial screening is if a patient does not have health care coverage, then they're following up with our financial counselors to make sure that that coverage is uh, taken care of. And this is where the charity care or the sliding fee discount program would be applied to their account to make sure that they are not having a financial burden due to health care. Okay. Isn't that, um, isn't that number rather low, you think? It is rather <laughs> low, and it's representative of most of the patients that we see within our system having a source of coverage. So um, it's not included in, in these slides here, but in, um, in the past, we've looked at how many patients are self-pay patients versus how many patients are covered by Medi-Cal, Medicare, or Health Pack, for example. And that number of self-pay patients is very low. And I think, I, I'm not sure about this, but I think one of the things Mark may be getting at, like I wonder about the 4,000 patients we see in the ER and hospital settings and whether their source of, you know, payment is as obvious as the folks that we see in ambulatory. Um, and is this reflective of the fact that, you know, we're in some ways such a high barrier to entry, you know, to get in, I think maybe a high proportion of those that are seen in financial screening are also seen in mobile care, <laughs> seen in bridge clinic, you know, they're actually people who we're bringing in by lowering the barriers. So I think that might be some interesting thing for us to kind of investigate in, in the future. Um, that it, it may mean that we're not pushing ourselves hard enough to find the folks who are having more trouble with, you know, having a source of payment. 
Yes, the, in this, uh, in all of our data, this is strictly the patients that are being seen in the homeless health center and not those other 4,000 that are not ever seen within our homeless health center. That's true. Damon, I don't know if you, you probably know about this, that Medi-Cal effective May 1st, uh, any 55 or older person, regardless of their immigration status, can get Medi-Cal now? Yes. And that's a big, huge thing. And I, um, I hope we're passing the word out because those older people really need care and they've been so afraid to come in the past. Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely, there's definitely uh, a lot of conversations about that. And, um, and I think we're very excited about that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a great thing. Um, so this graph is showing the similar to the patients that we saw previously. This is the number of visits and that over that timeline, again, from May of last year through April of this year. And you can see how um, it is also reflective of the number of patients we have seen. Um, and again, with a little dip in April. All right, um, we have our final, our, our final reminder. And I do wanna take this opportunity because she's on the call with us to appreciate Catherine Warner. Catherine has been um, the Vice President of Ambulatory Care for the past five years and, had, and stepped also into the leadership role of the CAO once Dr. Barbaria left Alameda Health System. She has been an inspiration and light to ambulatory care, has been an advocate for the Homeless Health Center and for people experiencing homelessness since the beginning. Um, when she started asking me questions about what my big ideas were for people experiencing homelessness. And I've really appreciated her leadership and guidance while she was here. She is leaving us um, as of June 3rd, and so we will miss her greatly. Um, she is a, fabulous, is a fabulous leader and will continue to be a fabulous leader, whether it's with Alameda Health System or just out in the world. Um, she is a bright, shining light, and we thank her for everything she's done for us here. Uh, is, is, is there anyone, um, is there currently, um, are we currently active, actively looking for uh, her replacement at this point? I would say not quite yet, <laughs> um, but, but they are aware that she is leaving and they'll be working on that soon. Damon, is that going to be another responsibility for you? Uh, yes, and for, <laughs> and for Heather, I think for, for both of us. Um, Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think we, you know, we have to acknowledge that um, this is a really challenging time in terms of, you know, health center leadership. Um, you know, I think inclusive of Dr. Jamaladeen, and our former CMO, yeah. who I think um, was a, a champion for the work. You know, I think uh, Paulov was as well. Catherine has been as well. Um, it's a real, it's a real changing of the guard, and there's a real gap uh, being left. But um, um, we, you know, I think we have, um, we have some new leaders that are going to be able to come in soon and, um, I'm excited about what's, uh, what's coming. Um, but mostly I'm just really, really appreciative of having had the chance to work with Catherine. Um, all the nice things that Heather said about her were absolutely true. Um, she's really, 
kept this organization, you know, the, the health center ambulatory care, just um, with its eye on the most important thing, like serving our patients, serving our patients, serving our patients is what she um, has us all focused on and keeps herself focused on all the time. And I think, um, you know, the, the way she does that is by taking care of everybody in our, um, you know, among our staff um, and making sure that we all have the things we need and are cared for ourselves that we can care for other people. And I just really deeply believe in um, both those approaches to leadership. And I, I you know, I, I can't imagine um, a colleague who's modeled them better than she has. Let's, uh, I'll just, I'll just say a few words. And um, I usually, I, I do um, try to, whenever possible, join your meetings, but I too try to be on the outskirts because you know, what you all do in these meetings, like, I want to hear and be part of, um, but I want them to be, you know, things that you're engaged in and that you want us to be engaged in. Um, I wasn't really prepared to speak. I was actually doing a little bit of working out and multitasking, so sorry if I'm a little sweaty or whatnot, but um, I think, you know, I've been at EHS for five years, um, and I think one of the things that I'm most proud of and most excited about is um, having you all um, be engaged and empowered to lead um, our health center moving forward. Um, Heather and Damon uh, are amazing colleagues um, and I am excited to see and cheerlead you all from wherever I am um, as next steps bring on. But. Um, but just thank you all for your time and energy and devotion to this to this work for our community. Thank you, thank you Catherine. Um, I'm going to add a couple more shout outs now because I think uh, in addition to Catherine's leadership, we've had Loretta take on an incredible role as a leader, as your chair. And I do want to acknowledge how much she's contributed this past month and um, and we really, really appreciate her. I think, uh, I, I know some of you didn't get to attend the meetings that she, she went to this month. Um, they are available though. Uh, you can listen to them online as well. So you can, you can witness her, her savviness on the CEO chat. I, that was my favorite where uh, she just literally was available for questions and answers and she just told it like it was. And I really appreciated that. Our, our leadership got to hear from her, from a patient. And I think it's really changed the way our leaders and our organization think about engaging patients in the conversation. And, and I'm really excited about how they are embracing this as something they're gonna move forward in their strategic plan. So Loretta, really above and beyond this month and you went to the conference and you soaked it all in and you're bringing it all back and and I just don't want uh I, I just want you all to know how how great Loretta has been um as as your chair and how much she's given this month and so thank you thank you thank you Loretta um for for leading us and showing the way and showing the rest of the organization the way as well because you've been a star thank you um, I, I do have a question. Um, the, the various meetings uh, and um, activities that uh, Loretta was engaged in this month, um, are we, uh, meaning other CAP members, um, are we, are, um, 
were we able to participate in any of the meetings um, that she attended uh, this month? Um, and I only ask because I would be more than happy to attend other meetings uh, in support of our in support of uh, what we're doing. Thank you so much, Mark. Absolutely, and. Our organization is looking and we don't want it to all rest on Loretta's shoulders for sure. Some of these opportunities came up kind of quickly and because she had been well practiced, um, we, we latched onto her and we would love your voice as well. So we will continue to bring back opportunities for y'all to participate um, in meetings. Uh, the ones that, so it started with the, the Board of Trustees meeting, which you also attended. Um, to present the strategic plan and from there it went on to doing that same presentation at a, a department head meeting with all of our department leaders um, and then from there because we were working on this article to promote the cab uh, they requested uh, participation in our CEO chat and that was that was the like the bringing it bringing it home wrapping it up we you know just getting the message out consistently and repeatedly over a short period of time, I think really made a difference too. It really hammered home the message. Um, so, but we want more and our organization has requested more and they're reaching out to us for more. So um, you better believe I'm coming for you and uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work on what those things are gonna look like and, and get you get you sitting next to the CEO too, Mark. Okay, yeah, I would I love the uh, opportunity. Super. That is the end of my report. Thank you so much. Okay. I think we've completed everything. Do we have public comment tonight? about any board member comments. I just want to say thank you, Loretta, for stepping up and um, participating in the um, retreat on, uh, was it last week or the week before last, and just bringing back all the grateful information and relating it back to the board. It was really um, informative, and I can't wait to hear Loretta's side and what she learned as well. I think the fellow board members are looking forward to hearing that as well. So thank you and kudos to continue to do all the great work that you're doing. And of course, I will support you. Um, so, yeah. Thank you, Richard. I'd like to ditto, Richard. Thank you so very much for stepping up and doing all the things that you do. I know it's a lot of work. And we appreciate it. Trust thank me. Thank you. You gave a very good, enlightening report. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I'd like to uh, thank Loretta uh, just um, simply for your passion. Because um, I don't think any of us, uh, and I certainly don't think, uh, I, 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 I can't speak for everybody, uh, I'm just saying for myself even, uh, I don't think we could do this kind of work if we didn't have passion for it. Absolutely. And you, and you certainly have that in spades. Thank you, Mark. So if there's nothing else, um, we can adjourn. The time is 7.18. I make a motion that we adjourn the meeting. Okay. I, I second. Okay. Yeah, we don't
Thank you, everyone.